all of us have at least either seen a wedding or been to a wedding or been involved in a wedding in some way, shape, or form. And it's interesting that no matter what culture you go to, there almost every single culture I've experienced or every country I've gone to or even every religion about they just about have something where two people come together and join as one. It's amazing. It's not just an American thing. It's not just something in our culture, or it's not even just something in the Christian culture or the Jewish culture. It's something that transcends and speaks loudly globally, is this idea of two people coming together and joining as one. And there's a reason for that. God was revealing himself through marriage, through the wedding ceremony. The one thing that I'm just going to continue, continue, continue to pound into us, and me, myself included, is this idea that church is somehow, there's them, and then there's me. You know, that when you walk in through the door, that, you know, well, there's those people, and then there's me. There's somehow like, you know, well, I'm the broken one. I'm the messed up one. I'm the one that doesn't deserve, or I'm the one... And what's so uh, beautiful about the, the, the story kind of of the, the wedding is that Jesus continued to uh, try to explain what the kingdom of heaven was like. And he would a, a lot, he would use uh, what uh, kind of a wedding party or, or, or the wedding ceremony or, you know, when people would get together for the wedding, uh, the wedding feast. And there's one particular story when Jesus talks about, you know, the wedding feast and he's trying to explain and trying to describe what the kingdom of heaven is like. And first he says, you know, first they went out and they invited, you know, all their friends and, and, and they invited all of, of the people in town, and, but they wouldn't come. So then the, the father, you know, who's putting on the wedding says, listen, I want you to go out into the highways and the byways. I want you to go out beyond. I want you to go. I want you to invite Everyone you can to the wedding. Everybody is invited. Everybody is invited. There is no one who's excluded. Here's here's the one stipulation. Here's the the one thing that has to happen. You, you, You have to come, right? You have to answer the invitation. When you get the invitation, in fact, we just got an invitation for our nephew and niece's wedding. What do you have to do? You have to tell them you're coming, right? So that they can do what? They can prepare a meal for you. The kingdom of heaven is like that. Everyone is invited. You have to tell them you're coming. You have to receive the invitation and you have to say, I'm coming to the wedding. I choose to come and be a part of this feast. I choose to come. And, and, and Jesus is also saying, and this is what I'm going to get into right now, is that that is exactly what the church is like. No one is excluded. Everybody is invited. But you have to answer. You have to answer. You have to say, I'm coming, so that a place can be prepared for you. I want to start with Revelations chapter 19. And Revelations chapter 19 is, is, uh, is actually a prophecy about the church. 
It's actually something that we have not quite seen the, the fulfillment of yet, but we know that this is what we are anticipating as the church. This is what we are looking for as the church. John, who was one of uh, the uh, disciples of Jesus, writes this. John is he is banished to an island, and uh, he has this vision, and he kind of has this, this prophecy, and it's a vision about the church, about you know Jesus's church, and about what is happening, uh, you know, in the early church, but also what is still to come. So I'm going to read Revelations chapter 19. If you'd follow along, I'm going to read in the New Living uh, Translation. But it says this. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. The fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Verse 9. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, do, do not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. Let me explain to you what this all means. Jesus talks about us being the, the church, being the bride. And the prophecy that John is giving is that one day the Lamb of God, who we know is Jesus Christ, the one day the Lamb of God will come back for his church, just like a, a wedding ceremony, that he will come back for his bride. Now, it, to understand kind of a picture of this, you kind of have to understand Jewish tradition. This is how uh, uh, it would look in, in the Jewish custom of a marriage betrothal, okay? So usually it would start by, uh, you know, a, a bride or a, a girl being betrothed to a, a, a young man. And what he would do was when, when he was at of right age and she was at of right age, he would actually go and prepare a place for him and his bride to start a family, right? The Bible even talks that a man shall leave his family and then he shall cleave to his wife. That there's this act of, okay, I'm, I'm leaving and then now I am going to prepare a place. When he was done, when he was done preparing a home for him and his bride, he then would return for her. And they would make a big deal about it. Hey, the, the bridegroom is here. And there would be this whole festivity. And they would, they would make a big deal about it. And there would be a procession. And he would literally, they would proceed down. And they would walk this big giant group, like the party. And they would go to her house. And he would knock on the door. And say, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. It's time. And of course, she'd come out and she'd be all dressed up, and they'd be ready, and they would, they would go back, and then that's when the party would start. And they said sometimes the party would last an entire week 
of celebrating these two people coming together. It's a very, very beautiful picture. But what's amazing about it is this is exactly what Jesus has done. Jesus, what did he say? What did he say before he departed to his disciples? He said, listen, I go to prepare a place for you. That's, that, that's how a, a, a bridegroom talks. That's what a bridegroom would say to his bride, and that's exactly what Jesus was saying to the church. Listen, I go to prepare a place for you. One day I will return. One day I will return for you and take you home. We, you guys, the church, and we need to be ready. We need to understand what that means. And just as Jesus has taken on the role of bridegroom, the church needs to take on the role of bride. And I'm gonna explain what that means and what that looks like. But first, let's take a look at Ephesians chapter five, verse 21 and 20. And it's very, very important because this is where Paul is explaining, you know, what are the roles in a marriage? What are the roles of a husband? What are the roles of a wife? Why, why is this so important? Why does God bring these two people together, husband and wife? And what, you know, and what is our role in a marriage and all that kind of stuff? And, he, and what's great is Paul explains it. So for those of you who are married and you're having a hard time figuring out what am I supposed to do, guess what? It's written. It's all written down. I need that. I'm a knucklehead. I need it kind of written for me, you know? Ephesians chapter 5. And it's interesting that Paul starts out with this because he's, if anything, he's kind of saying something without saying something, and I'll explain it. Verse 21. And further... Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, okay? Make note that Paul starts off by saying that before he goes into what he's about to say next. Further, submit to one another. Submit to one another. Verse 22. For wives, this means submit to your husband as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. So let me explain what this means, and let me, let me explain what this doesn't mean. Okay? First of all, Paul starts by saying, we need to submit one to another as the church. That means I submit to you, you submit to me, we all submit to each other. So immediately Paul puts everything on an even playing field. Okay? But then he goes and he describes the role of a marriage, the role of husband and, and wife. And he says, wives, su submit to your husbands. Submit to your husbands because this is the role of the church. And when the church is acting in this way or when a wife is acting in this way, she is actually showing what the kingdom of God looks like when a wife submits to her, her husband, when she takes on that role. What this does not mean is that a wife is somehow less than her husband. That is not what this is saying. Paul never says that. Paul never says that you are less than, that you somehow have a weaker role, that you somehow have a less important role. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul simply says to submit to your husband's spiritual authority. But then he talks to the husbands, and it actually gets even bigger. Verse 25. 
For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. For he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. Washed by the cleansing of God's word, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In that same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of the body. Paul then addresses men, and he goes, you know what, guys? You have a huge role to play. And he says, men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Men, lay down your life for her. You know what that means? That means my life is no longer my own. And that's not a bad thing. That means I love my wife so much that I don't necessarily worry about me anymore. That I don't worry about my needs and, and my, you know, whatever it is that I'm into or whatever it is that I feel, well, I want to do this and I want to eat that and I want and I want and I want. Paul is saying, men, love your wives so much that you would sacrifice everything, everything that you would hold dear. You would say, you know what? It's worth nothing if it doesn't mean that my wife doesn't feel loved by me. And guys, let me explain why this is so important. Because if we are not doing that, then the world will not be able to see Christ's love for his church. Because when they see a godly man loving his wife so much that he's laying down everything, that he's laying down all selfish ambition, that he's laying down everything that he cares about for her, then someone will say, okay, that is a picture of the kingdom of God. That is how much Christ loves me. Because that is how much Christ loves you. He gave it all, all for you. He held nothing back. There was nothing in his love for us that, that was selfish. That was saying, nah, I'm going to save this for me. It was you. It was you that he loved. It was you that he cared about. It was you that he only had eyes for. That he was only pursuing. So, men, we must love our wives that passionately. Verse 31, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. You see, you guys, this is why marriage is so important. And this is also why marriage seems to be attacked so much that everyone in the world is trying to say what marriage should look like. Well, it should look like this. It should look like that. But here's the problem with people putting their own spin on marriage. If it's outside of what God created, then it is not a representation of the kingdom of God. You see, the reason why he wants us to follow that 
illustration is because that is the only way the world will see him. Do you get it? It's not for us. It's not just so that we could have a a ceremony to do or that we can have a day of celebration. It's not just for that, even though we do that and even though we're happy when we see two couples, uh, you know, uh, get together who, who love each other. But when it is done according to how God created it to be, then people get a glimpse of the kingdom of God. It's bigger than that. Do you get it? Do you get it? It's bigger than us. Do you understand that there's a reason for every single thing, that when God creates something, there's a reason for it? That there's a reason when he tells us to do something a certain way, that there's a reason for it? Marriage isn't just for us to do whatever we want with. You know, skydive out of a, an airplane, you know, and say a few, a few vowels. I'm not saying that that's sinful, but what I'm saying is, is it should be a reflection of the kingdom of God because that's what God designed marriage to be, a representation of that. So let's talk about the picture of marriage, the headship, the headship. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And just like that, just like when Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands, we, the church, you guys, we need to submit to Jesus, the head. We need to ask him, Lord, what is it that you require of me? I am married to you. Do you understand? Do you understand the relationship of marriage? It can't be broken. It can't be broken. Marriage is a covenant. A covenant cannot be broken. A covenant is is there for a reason. It's saying that I am all in, that that there is no time limit to this, that there is no, you know, there's nothing that can come in and disturb this, that no matter how bad it gets or, or, or how rough or what comes our way, that we are in this till death do us part. That it is a covenant, that when you are saying, God, I am submitting to you, that it is a covenant relationship that we have, the church, have with Jesus Christ, and that we need to submit ourselves completely, not holding anything back from him. And then there's the sacrifice. Just as husbands are to lay down their lives, we understand that not only did Christ lay down his life for us, but that is how we should be with each other as the church it's sacrificial, you guys. I keep telling, the, the, world, the world doesn't get love. The world says that love is an, a feeling, that love is an emotion, and it's really not. You want to see true love? True love is when a person is willing to die for another, even, even they don't deserve it. That's love. That's crazy love. That's passionate love. You know what I mean? That one person would be willing to put his, his life on the line. And, and, and we just watched the movie um, uh, The uh, Princess Bride. How many of you guys remember the movie The Princess Bride? What I love about that movie, you guys, what I love about The Princess Bride is he pursues her all the way. He never, ever stops. Even, even to the point of losing his own life. He even puts his own life on the line just for her. He pursues her all the way, even even up to the point where she's getting married to someone else. He pursues her, and what does she keep saying? 
She keeps saying, my Wesley's coming for me. He's coming for me. She looks straight in the eye of, of this king who's trying to marry her, who's, who's completely evil, and he, she looks right at him, and she says, listen, nothing's going to stop him. Nothing. She knew it in her heart, you guys. That needs to be the attitude of the church. My Jesus is coming for me. I don't care how bad things look right now. I don't care how terrible things look right now, that you know that Jesus is pursuing you, that he's, that he's, you know, going through all of those obstacles to get to you, that he's putting his own life on the line for you. Really, that's why that movie is so timeless, and people may not even realize it. It's actually the gospel message. It's a beautiful story, because it's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's pursuing us. It's a picture of purity, and this may sound, well, (laughs) you don't know me. You don't know me, a picture of purity? Oh my goodness. But what is great is it has nothing to do with how much you've sinned or if that you, in, in our physical terms here, that you, know, you weren't pure on your wedding day or something like that. That's not what purity is talking about. We are clothed because of what Christ Jesus done. And when we accept his love, that we are immediately clothed in white. Jesus takes off the, the dirty rags, the, the sinful rags, the, you know, he takes off all of those things and he clothes us. You become pure. That is why it is important that when we come to a marriage, and that's why a, a woman normally wears white because she's showing a symbol, symbolism of I have waited, but that this isn't this isn't talking about necessarily, you know, wait, waited for my husband as much as we are now the church waiting for Christ. And what we are saying is we are going to remain pure of heart. We are going to remain pure waiting for our Lord to return. The question is, are you prepared? Are you prepared? There's a, a quick story in the Bible that Jesus talks about, about these 10 bridesmaids. They're also known as like the 10 virgins, but the 10 bridesmaids. And, the, and you guys all know what bridesmaids are. They're the ones that support the bride, right? They're the ones that are helping out the bride. Well, these 10 bridesmaids were waiting for the groom. The groom hadn't come yet. And, and uh, the groom came finally late at night. And some of them were prepared. Some of them had oil in their lamps and they were prepared and they were to go out and they were able to go be a part of the feast and some were not prepared. And Jesus actually told that story. The point of the story is that the ones who were prepared, they knew, they knew that the bridegroom could come at any time. So they were constantly filling their lamps. They were constantly, you know, preparing themselves that he could come at any moment. See, the other five girls, they, they must not have cared really that much. They thought, oh, he'll, he'll get here when he gets here. But what happened was their oil was running out and they weren't even thinking to replenish it. And they had time. They had ample opportunity. The picture is, you guys, we need to act as if Jesus Christ is coming back for us today. We need to act as if 
There is no more. That time is running out. We need to constantly be pouring that spiritual oil. We need to constantly be, be ma doing maintenance on our own soul. We need to constantly be saying, Lord, I am ready that whenever it is you return, you are going to catch me busy building the kingdom of God and not doing anything selfish. That's what that picture is. Are you prepared? There is no more time to waste. Where does your devotion lie? Where does your devotion lie? 2 Corinthians 11.2 says this. Paul wrote, For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself, and I promised you as, as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. Where does your devotion lie? And, and, and this is why I say that. Living in our culture, living in our day and age, it's so easy to be divided in our own hearts. It's so easy to say, oh, but I love this. Oh, but I want that. You know what I mean? I want riches. I want, what, I want all that the world has to offer me. And to be honest with you, I know what that feels. I know what the pride of life feels like because there were, there's definitely been times in my life that I've, that I've sought after fame, that I've sought after things that I thought would make me happy, that would fill me. You know what I mean? But to be honest with you, my heart was divided because then when Christ would come into my life and he would say, but Matthew, will you do this for me? I would always kind of say, yeah, but if it's going to interfere with what I, what I really am desiring over here, that's where my heart was divided. Where does your loyalty lie? You see, for those of you who are married or who understand marriage, you have one person that you are devoted to for the rest of your life. You can't, your heart can't be divided. You can't be giving yourself to every single person that comes around. And again, it's a picture of the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, be devoted to me and to me only. Be devoted to me and to me only. Here's the devotion litmus test. What is the first thing you think about in the morning? the first thing you think about in the morning? Where does your mind go to? I used to have this job that I, I'll use a little calmer term, I despised. There was a job that I despised, and every morning I woke up, depression set in. Oh, God, I have to go and do that today. Anybody, anybody feel that way? <laughs> anybody? Anybody wake up and you go, oh, God, I have to go and do that today. Where, but where does your, whether it's positive or negative, where does your, your mind go? You see, I've, I've been trying to train myself that when I wake up in the morning, that I fix my thoughts upon him. Because then even when I got to go do those things that I don't want to do, it's not quite as bad. It really is. It's really not quite as bad. What is your highest priority on a Sunday? What is your highest priority on a Sunday? And I don't mean that to be, to be religious. I don't mean that if you don't go to church that you're somehow like a sinner or that somehow even makes you less than a Christian. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But I am noticing in our culture that there's definitely things that people find important. And I've noticed church has been slowly becoming kind of further down on the list of important things to do on a Sunday morning. 
And I'm just saying that when we're together, God wants to do great and mighty things with us and through us. Remember, like I said last week, to encourage each other. That when we're together, as, as iron sharpens iron, that we're here for each other. That it's not about coming. It's not about checking off a box. It's about relationship. That's truly, truly what, what the point of it is. It's, it's about building. And the only way you can build relationships is by being here, is by being present. Who or what do you turn to when problems arise? Who or what do you turn to when problems arise? Is God the first one you turn to when times get tough? Or is it something else? Or is it someone else? Is it all yours? Or is it all God's? Is it all yours? Or is it all God's? That's the devotion litmus test. Lastly, in, in Revelations 19.9, as I had already read, said, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding. Listen, you guys, we have a job to do. We need to invite. We need to send out those invitations that Christ is coming, that the wedding feast is here. Who, the question is, who will you invite? Obviously, everyone is welcome, you guys. Everyone is welcome. I bet if I sat down and talked with all of you, you guys all know somebody, if not more than just a somebody, who needs the body of Christ, who needs the relationship that the church offers. Well, how do we invite? Well, first of all, it's personal, so you need to make personal connections. I, I'm going to be very honest. I'm not a big fan of sending out, you know, letters and sending out flyers and sending out, you know, to be honest, I've been involved in church long enough to see that you get a very, very, very small percentage of people. You know where you get a very, very large percentage of people is when there's a personal invitation. When there is a person, I would rather send you out as the physical flyers and as the physical, you know, in, in invitations. You are, I guess that's what I'm saying. You are the invitation. You're it. It's also consistent, you guys. You also have to be consistent. You're going to get a no, and you're going to get a no, and you're going to get a no, and you're going to get a no. But I have heard amazing, amazing stories about people who came to church and said, oh my gosh, I was asked 100 years before I finally said yes, and I'm so glad that that person or those people never stopped inviting me. And of course, it's also timing. Don't get frustrated if, if someone says a no to you. God has a perfect timing, but don't give up. Don't give up praying for that person. Don't give up asking that person. We're going to close in prayer right now. And if you wouldn't mind just bowing your heads and closing your eyes. You guys, I want to help change our thinking about what the church looks like. And I'm going to be honest with you. I have seen the church act horribly. Not all churches, but I have seen churches act horribly. But if we can understand these concepts, that the church, first of all, is people, 
that the church is also the body, which means that every single one of us in this room plays a part, that there is no one greater and then there's no one weaker, that, there's, that all of us are important, but that also that we are the bride of Christ and we need to present ourselves that way. That when you guys leave this gathering, that you don't all of a sudden not become the church anymore. If anything, you are more the church when you are away from this gathering than maybe ever when we're together. That you are the bride of Christ and you must conduct yourselves that way. Pure, clothed in white. That means we are so careful of how we, what, how we are talking, of how we are presenting ourselves, of what we are doing, of every single decision that we make. Because does it reflect that I am waiting for Christ to come and take me home? Lord, help us with our thinking. Help us with seeing truly, truly what the church is and, of course, what it isn't. And help us to start taking that ownership that I am the church. Not them, not that group, not over there or not in that place. I am the church. I am the bride of Christ. I am the body. And Lord, help me. Help me, Lord God, as we continue to love on people with a sacrificial love. Help us to make connections so that we don't feel alone. Help us to live by your word, the word of God. I have a very quick question. If there is anybody here and you have never ever asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior and you would like to do that right here and right now because you want to be a part of that, Will you just simply raise your hand? And if you don't even mind looking up at me just so that I can see you to make sure I don't miss anybody. But you would say, today's the day. Today's the day. No longer, no longer do I want to be on the outside. I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of the body of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. We accept your invitation. We accept your love. We accept your forgiveness. Lord, cleanse us of our sin. Lord, you make us pure and holy. You, it doesn't matter what we've done, it doesn't matter what we did yesterday, and it doesn't even matter what we're going to do tomorrow. You, Jesus, make us pure, the pure bride. We love you, we thank you, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.